GM. GM, wherever you may be. Perhaps it would be helpful to tee up general agenda or Let's what would it. be discussed. To, yeah, to, Roy, to Roy's point, basically, we're, we're going to be talking about the future of media in Web3, what this landscape is looking like now, but also sort of like coming from the traditional paradigm. I mean, like these two, these two guys in here with me today are veterans in this space. Uh, they, they not only know the traditional media landscape very, very well, but they are, you know, obviously very, very well educated in what's happening in the now when it comes to decentralized streaming, decentralized finance uh, for, for arts projects, decentralized IP as well. Uh, so we're going to talk about all those things. Roy also has like an incredible article that he's written that we'll share at the top of this that, you know, if anybody like sort of wants to do a bit of homework right now, uh, definitely read through take your time and check, check back to it. He, he basically lays out an incredible blueprint. All right, good, yeah, uh, that sounds good. And it, so there's talk about specific projects and then a look at uh, maybe, you know, what are broader underlying infrastructure and uh, apps that could enable sort of a broader Web3 vision of media. And I think by media in, you know, you could, take in any sort of media, but I, I think in all three cases, we're more informed about television and film. So that's probably going to be the focus. So, yeah, I mean, did you, did you want to talk about the, the, uh, the outline of like, what are, what are the key parts of, well, I guess we should, we should set the context of, you know, the future of media and web three and, and maybe start to talk about, well, interestingly, I, I pulled an, <laughs> I pulled an article after I read yours. I was, I was in the process of posting one. But yours is so comprehensive. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to rethink this to, to be additive. I think one of the things I was thinking about was like, what's when we think about Web three, like, what's the problem space? Like, what what a what needs fixing rather than because I think it's too, too often in Web three, it's easy to say, well, we've got this new toy, blockchain technologies, cri cryptocurrency, uh, et cetera, decentralization, and and sometimes people just just tinker with the toy rather than having a problem to solve. But I think there are some clear problems that we can solve in existing media. So maybe maybe I can set that up as, you know, what, what's the problem space that, that Web3 might solve? Yeah. Do you do you want to jump into that or you want me to take that? Uh, yeah, I was teeing that up for you. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, I, I think, you know, in, in many businesses, if you, if you create the decentralized or Web3 version, it's going to be... Uh, different, but to a customer, probably substantially the same. So the decentralized 7-Eleven or Starbucks or what have you, I presume the cappuccino is, is substantially similar. But my argument is that a decentralized version of Hollywood would actually be better. You know, the product would be different and better because I think there are a couple of critical differences between decentralized Hollywood and regular Hollywood. So in regular Hollywood, you have very centralized cultural bureaucracies in an industry that has, I'm not sure, ever been as concentrated, you know, as it is today. So, so perhaps we could argue that fewer people are deciding what we all get to see and enjoy than ever. And so small groups that depend, that are essentially bureaucracies depending on social consensus can be subject to 
you know, a small people, a small group of people all agreeing on something or all developing some kind of blind spot. Uh, or, you know, and they may think they're all agreeing on something, you know, completely benign, you know, they're pattern matching. And, you know, they just think that uh, shows with dragons and swords never work, you know, and this is just a rule that, that they can rely on. And it's like algorithmic. It's almost. Yeah, algorithmic, but that makes it sound like it's true. <laughs> right. And my point is that these, you know, small social cliques can theoretically embrace ideas that are that are not true or they're not really based on data or anything and over the last years we've actually seen a substantial decline in the number of shows that people have really loved on imdb so like from 2014 to 2017 that's four-year period there were i think 63 shows that were rated eight and above so this would be you know better call saul and you know game of thrones and there, there was a really strong strong period there and then in the four years after that it was down by more than 50 percent and remember COVID only came in early 2020 so it, in theory it would only affect shows in sort of the second half of 2020 slash, you know, 2021, you know, this is not that, you know, I think there are, you know, certain types of shows that Hollywood just decided it wanted to do less. Like comedy is the easiest example. Uh, there are far fewer comedies than there were 10 years ago. And I don't think the people of the world like have decided they, they, they just don't like to laugh. Can you tell me, can, can we dissect a bit why that, happens actually like because you've been in these in these rooms i presume you know some of it is just you know you have random people like there are there are everybody has strengths and weaknesses you know uh nobody gets everything from a to z so you know i did like fleabag and transparent and marvelous mrs mazel and you know a bunch of other shows but you know so obviously i like things that you know are sort of character driven and you know whatever uh, but there's, there's definitely one thing I do not get, which is anything where like people are wearing crowns, like <laughs> if there's like a monarchy or it's about the queen or there is like a Pope. So it also extends to meters. If you're wearing like M I T E R, um, any sort of European royalty, like I just find I zone out and don't care. And so, you know, that's, that's my problem. Like I can, I can like some things, but nobody gets everything. And so it matters who is running programming because if they just aren't into comedy or don't get it or are bad at it, you're going to get less of it. And if we only have five or six people picking everything, you have one or two people, their preferences are going to matter. Or if the whole town decides, you know, agrees on on whatever it is you can have random market failures where the industry randomly stops serving the audience uh with perfect alignment and my point is huh. if the process of funding shows picking shows and essentially green lighting shows was instead hundreds of thousands of people it would have a very high tendency to be aligned with the audience and it would it would not have a tendency to sort of go off on random tangents and all decide 
you know, th this season we like this and this season we like that. And it, so it would be more like an AI that was aligned with the audience. And, and I think the, the other benefit to wrap up this section, which is like, why would decentralization even make any difference, you know, to content or to Hollywood? I think the other reason it would make a difference is that I think if part of what decentralization winds up meaning is that you can get your TV show or movie approved, financed, greenlit in some sort of, you know, online marketplace, NASDAQ, you know, de decentralized bank of content, right? It's like the bank of Hollywood. Then if you're a creator, you'll get two things that you don't have today, which is creative control and ownership. So today, if you're if you created Star Wars and you were at a streamer, you would most likely get a bonus and everybody would be really happy. If that, yeah, if that, for sure. Yeah, so you would not get what George Lucas got, which was, you know, a a you know high speed ticket to being a billionaire. You know? And it <laughs> right. it used to be that, you know, if you ran a show like not even the best show on earth, like not to offend anyone, but like, you know, pick a random show, like, I don't know, Wings or something, you know, and the show went five seasons, like, you know, the bus would come from the studio and like pick you up and take you and your family straight to Montecito, you know, which is like a very, right. very affluent suburb of LA, like in, in Santa Barbara, uh, which is say, you know, you'd make a lot of money, more money than today. And the deals have changed for creators in a, in a worse way. And there's nothing written in the stars that says, you know, it's part of a eternal market equilibrium that, you know, creators should not have back end. They shouldn't have profit or ownership. And I think that decentralization and these this method of financing that we're talking about is going to revert some of these deals to a deal where uh, creators retain a greater share of ownership. And I, I think that will yeah. yield better results. I love that. Um, I mean, there, there's sort of two things that I, I guess I want to, I would like to talk about. And, and one of them, you know, you said, you said the audience, right? I, I wonder if you, in this, in this blueprint that you've articulated so well, um, if you've imagined sort of like what the audience looks like sort of in this future, I don't, I don't know if it's sort of like a singular body or if that in itself is also a bit decentralized. If, if the audience become more or less fans or, or if there's some, some sort of shift there. I mean, I, I imagine the audience is, 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 you know, by definition, sort of the most decentralized group. It's just kind of everybody who's watching TV, except that, you know, there is a, a slight modification in this Web3 universe right. in that if you have a decentralized financing system and you have decentralized distribution, then some of the members of the audience, some of your fan base would be more tied to projects. So, for example, right. you know, before Game of Thrones came out or before Stranger Things came out, there might have been, you know, uh, NFTs. And so you might, might have, you know, stacked those before the show came out. And those people would have a different relationship if they were in the original 10K group backing. Exactly. So just saying they're in the Discord, 
And, you know, maybe you get a different NFT if you watched, you know, every episode of the first season or, you know, whatever it is. So they, well, and that, that's why I ask because I think it's, you know, like there, there's sort of this shift from like sort of like something a bit extractive, right? Like you, you go on, you watch Stranger Things and you're like, cool, whatever. And there's, there's a deepening of the participation and experience potentially happening too, where it's like... In the sense, in, in the sense of ownership, I mean, I think if, if, if we think about... Um, uh, so when I was at Netflix, you know, a number, a number of series were canceled and, you know, take OA, for example, we would go outside exactly. of the building and there would be people holding their, their picket signs, save the OA. But what always struck me is no one ever thought about how Netflix works. And if you really wanted to save the OA, you would start some sort of campaign to get people watching it all the way through. So I think if when you have the transparency around the model and with, de you know, with decentralized structure, structures, you don't even have that that same model, but you could be more clear about what will get, uh, you know, how something gets greenlit, if it gets exactly. funded, you know, what's, what's, what are the metrics around it? How does it move through the system? And the fans could directly participate and see, oh, if we push on this lever, we could make sure that we get to a season two and we can have a, that direct responsibility. We could start like a grassroots marketing campaign in all these different areas and make sure that people are, are seeing it. So it's the, yeah, it's also the decentralized, I mean, if you think about a decentralized streamer, then you've decentralized all that data and it's, and it, and everyone can participate in uh, at least seeing what's going on. No, that's the perfect segue into sort of what I wanted to speak to next is how like there, all of this effort goes into creating and like putting something together, especially from the creator side. But then when it comes time to stream on one of the streamers, like all of the information as to who's watching it and when and where they live or and anything, it, 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 it isn't made available to you. It, it goes into this black box, right? So even as a creator, there isn't really much of a feedback loop. So your show gets canceled and like there isn't any real, there, 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 there's no conversation there, you know? Um, and it, with this, I mean, we've also seen shows sort of do this, like move from one network to another. And like, again, with all the different streaming companies now, I mean, like, I think I saw Pretty Little Liars, I think has like a movie or something on HBO now, like there's all of this crossover. And like, this also enables shows to potentially off board off of a platform or a, 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 a broadcasting platform that doesn't work for them. Right. Right. Yeah, <clears throat> I think we create that kind of flexibility. And I, I do think there are different layers of what's being decentralized. So you can, you can, you know, there's the kind of front end of the whole service. So what you might think of as Netflix, you know, and there's the, the UI, the UX, and then there's the CDN behind that that is actually moving the bits and bytes around the world. And then there's um, behind the scenes from that, there's the process of green lighting and financing shows and movies, which is, you know, kind of the bank part or the development part. But then also, you know, putting aside the big service, there are a lot of projects that are, that are taking an approach that is less of a platform approach uh, like that, which is basically what I'm working on, uh, but instead is more of a um, project approach. So where the, the goal is not to build, it, the, the goal is more to build, you know, a movie or a kind of like Marvel Comics or uh, something like that. And there are different interesting experiments in, in those areas that are, you know, that are different. And some of those could benefit from 
the financing platform because you know those individual titles would be financed on a decentralized financing platform. Absolutely, Kai. I'm wondering if you want to, if you want to pick up there and and speak a little to that. I feel like that's something that you and I talk about a lot. Yeah, in terms of the financing side of it. I mean, I did I did actually want to play devil's advocate because I think about the I think about one aspect of this, which is how um, in in publishing anyone can can self-publish, but the, the role of the publisher is to be that, uh, you know, that curator. And equally, if you're thinking about sourcing materials, sometimes you don't, you don't want to get the snakes on a plane problem where sometimes the crowd, you know, thinks they know what's best for them, but they, they sort of lose, lose too much of the creative control or, they, or, or not enough. I mean, it, it feels like you do need a, a shepherd and a curator on, on some of these aspects. So I, I wonder how that, that role emerges within decentralization and in a lot of ways it's kind of like you know a DAO problem as well people are finding that if you completely decentralize a DAO you don't really get effective structures so they're trying to rebuild some sense of centralization like decentralized centralization where you have voting or you have delegation and, and you can get some of that authority back um, to the center uh, but did you want to so, well, do you want to rephrase your question because I got off on a tangent just around the financing aspect of it you know, I, I think there is a good point there that's worth noting, which is, is there a problem with development uh, with respect to majorities and voting? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'm sure multiple versions of all of this could, could be explored. In the particular version that I'm proposing, uh, there is no voting. So, so there's, there's no scenario where, you know, there are 10 million subscribers to the service and we're going to have a majority vote as to whether to do uh, this particular show X. That's totally not interesting because the, the problem with that, which you, you just pointed out, is that that can lead you to a lot of programming that is pretty mediocre. So if you have a situation where, you know, 75% of customers rate this show a six from one to 10. So that is called a bad show. Uh, that is not a show that you, you want your system to systematically approve. But if you have a different show that is 30% of the people on your service rate it, or 35% rate it a 10, uh, and, and a lot of other people rate it, you know, a one and a four, that's actually a show that your system should be designed to be very sympathetic to. Because a lot of shows that really catch on and are great are rule breakers, and a lot of rule breakers become game changers. Uh, look at Squid Game, look at Game of Thrones. There are many, many examples. And when people encounter something that is different at first, the first time you've heard a new song with a totally new sound, you're not sure if you like it yet, there, there can be a lot of negativity. But what you really have to be open to is a uh, small, passionate groups have to be empowered in any successful system having to do with selecting content. So, yeah, that's an issue. There's, there's also an aspect to, um, I was just thinking about an aspect of decentralization that is, is much more uh, looking ahead and, and one in which I think studios will eventually have to participate in, but maybe led by 
the Web3, uh, Media3 folks, is that if you think about the customer experience that people actually want, I currently subscribe to Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, Paramount Plus. I don't want to do that. I want, I want about three programs from each service. So I think what, what Web3 could potentially force is the, the consumer model where people expect to be able to almost have a, an a la carte menu of programs and, and the studios can feed into that. Maybe it's a, a protocol, maybe, it, you know, whatever, whatever evolves out of the future. But I think it's, I think it's going to have to be decentralized from the primary streamers. Uh, you know, we'll probably end up with a couple of streamers, but I think for the most part, it'll be more worth folks while to, to offer their, their programs. And maybe it's even, you know, studio direct to whatever, platform service this is but i think streamers will actually become more i mean i guess this is kind of back to the future for you for you roy but, but i think they'll, they'll become more of an aggregator of, of all the different programs and people will just sort of pick and choose their own subscription yeah and i i think there's no question that the more share over time goes to a decentralized system which is sort of to say as more super talented in demand talents migrate to the decentralized system, the more, you know, power and everything goes from a small centralized culture bureaucracy to artists, creators, and fans, which, you know, I, I think sounds like, uh, sounds like a good thing. And, you know, maybe some of these streaming services are a little subscale, in the US and globally, and maybe their best best option is to focus more on great IP and let a sort of jointly owned global decentralized system uh, move move the files around to people. But I think I think what Dan was um, alluding to, the thing that we've been working on really all year, and it's kind of sort of become my my uh, white whale is um, is the financing side. And I'm really determined to crack the model of, uh, you know, we, we sort of set up in the Web2 era crowdfunding, which is a one-way, uh, almost charitable source of funding, to I, I'd like to solve the model of profit participation, where it's, you know, if you're supporting uh, a film or a series or, or animated series, whatever it is, that why, why should that only be a one-way transaction? Why shouldn't you find something that you believe in and if it does well, then you, you can participate in its success. And I think that could also change the model in which people think about their viewing and think about their, their you know, what, what projects are they supporting, uh, because it doesn't become, you know, suddenly it, it becomes this is a piece of your investment portfolio, uh, potentially, as much as anything else. So, so that would add an additional layer to your, your fandom and your wanting to participate and wanting to see that. Uh, enterprise succeed because you you now have a an active stake in it, not just as a viewer. You know, just to bring it back like one step, but also related to what you just said, Kai. Like, I, I'm wondering right now the way that we're talking about streaming platforms. If like basically that's just an interface to view content at the end of the day, right? And that like ultimately what we are kind of asking for is a way to easily subscribe to talent and IP that we love, right? Like. If there's a way that like by owning a crypto dick, but I just know that in perpetuity, like I'll just have access to like media that is created officially sort of uh, sponsored or, or what, I mean, whatever for crypto dick, butts that might be the worst <laughs> example of anything official, <laughs> but you know what I mean? That might sort of fall under the banner of, of CBD content 
CDB, yeah, CDB content, or you know, like like that. Those are that those are the ways that it can kind of operate. That for for even potentially actors, directors, producers, that like there's almost a way of buying into their ecosystem of work, and that as the talent, you almost travel with those tokens that are are sort of attached to what you're creating in a way, like that you bring the community with you. And, and uh, yeah, it, it just like it, in sort of hearing us speak about the streaming platforms and all of that, it, it basically just like seems it's a token gated access port, right? Um, and if we're just sort of talking about decentralizing that, it's basically just a screen to watch movies. And what we really need is a token then, right? And I, and I just wonder if sort of like this so it's like sort of subscription kind of idea is, is a way of sort of making all of that a bit more efficient and streamlined. But but I think you, I think you subscribe to get it made. You don't necessarily subscribe, uh, subscribe to view it because mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, models that are out there now, it's like buy this NFT and you'll, you'll get a portal and you can watch it and have exclusive and great, a hundred people get to see it uh, or three hundred or whatever. Uh, really, what you want is I want to fund something and I want to be a part of that. But then I want to blast it. I want as many people to see that absolutely as possible. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess actually it could be sort of a combo of both. I mean, like the DAO that, that sort of maintains like a lot of the IP could potentially sponsor some of this content that benefits the holders of the IP in addition to the other people who mm. supported it being made, right? Right. Although, you know, I, I think what people mainly want, I mean, it depends what people you're talking about, but I, I think what people mainly want and what the critical thing is here is great shows. And they, they want, you know, the, the great, super talented people, including, you know, stars that they love from film and television. That is, is what they want. You know, so sometimes, and then there's a separate group of people, and there's overlap, but um, there are also people who, who want to, you know, invest in projects, but, you know, the bulk of people... And the, the key to really scaling up is, is, you know, big projects that people love. So where, where does the token sit in that for you, if, if there's a token? Uh, well, I mean, A, there's a token that you buy to become a subscriber to the service as a whole. Mm. And then the project, before it gets produced, has to get financed. And I think today you would go to a conference room, you know, in Hollywood or wherever, and tomorrow you will go to your laptop and create a detail page on, uh, on this service, and you'll say everything about your show, you know, I'm a fantastic showrunner, uh, you know, won an Emmy, my last show was hilarious, you're going to love it. And we've got this great star and, you know, we're selling NFTs and then we're also selling this other group of NFTs that will actually split the profits with you. And these could be exempt securities. The security. Uh, well, that's, that's the big, I mean, I think that's, I was, I'm, I'm waiting bated breath because that's, the, that's, yeah. that's the, big, uh, the big hurdle that, uh, that I think we're all facing is like how to solve that, um, the securities model. And we're, we're, I think we're playing with different things, different, different ideas around that. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's always the big thing. And some of it is just going to come down to waiting for, <clears throat> there's a bill that's coming in and, and hopefully we get some guidance. But um, I think it'll be, a, I think the industry, Web3, Media3 will have to be proactive and try to anticipate, you know, building in all the protections that we would expect, uh, you know, the investors 
get for themselves in the in the traditional financing world. It's like if we can anticipate all those concerns and build them into our models, then we can have a structure that at least you know shows that we we have the same considerations that the SEC and other uh, agencies uh, and regulator regulators uh, want want to to put in place for consumers for retail investors. So if we try to anticipate as much of that as we can and provide for it, then at least there's a show of good faith on the, you know, whoever's building it out on the industry side. Uh, I think that's how we move forward. We sort of meet in the middle somewhere when they, when they start to come back with their regulations. At this point, it definitely does feel like uh, speaking two completely different languages to one another though. I mean, that, that was basically mm. our experience, right? Uh, for, yeah. for sort of the eight months working towards issuing a securities for the film. And, you know, I think that there is a lot of work to be done in that regard, which is something that, you know, we're, we're excited to be taking on at the studio as we can. <clears throat> I, I think some of that is going to be important. I think there's a limit to the amount you're going to be able to raise per project if there's no profit sharing. That's just my guess. Uh, yeah. And so you want to take that cap off. And if you're going to take that cap off with profit sharing, then you, you got to make sure everything is, is kosher. So I, I definitely expect it to go down that road, and there, there are ways to do it. It's not that complicated. So I, I think it will, go, it will go down that road. So I think that would be the path for a typical show. And, you know, there, there, is, a, there is a fair amount of rhetoric around, oh, you know, we got to start with all these micro projects and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, I would say, well, you know, you can start wherever you want. It, you know, again, for, for the whole thing to really go to really accelerate uh it's gonna have to look for some projects on the other side of the spectrum you know because those are the ones that the bigger projects you know with high profile people drive you know pr it's easier to market them uh etc and so that has to be you know part of the mix i am curious this is, this is like a bit of a a shift, but I do want to talk about your PFP. I do want to talk about CC zero. I kind of want to like, I, I'm interested if you have perspective here, uh, especially in dealing with media and web three. And, um, you know, I love, I, I mean, I love CC zero and sort of like the proposition. I, I think that it's obviously a really complicated territory and it's, and it's new for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, CC zero is interesting. People talk about it a lot and I, I think it's, it's great for for a lot of NFTs, particularly NFTs that are basically, you know, memes that are going to live on Twitter. That's basically their life. You know, they don't have other aspirations. Uh, you know, and that's fine. The, I, the only thing I would point out is that it, you know, if you're Matt Granick, I can never really pronounce his name, but if you're the guy who created Simpsons. And the first thing you did was you put all your Simpsons designs on Reddit and you said, and you made them all CCO, CC zero, then you've just made a huge error. Uh, mm. Because your, your prospects for having a major television show or film or book are now substantially diminished unless you can find a lawyer who can argue that your statement that it was CC zero is non-binding. Uh, because no one is going to put $80 million into your project if, you know, it becomes famous and somebody else on another network or whatever can just create their own Simpsons show. Like zero probability, not 5% probability, 0%. And the, you know, the similar problem with what I would call distributed copyright, which is 
there are 10,000 people, not 100, 10,000. And it, every single one has a unilateral ability to license and so on. Um, you know, it, it's a, you've got no brand control. You know, then you go into Paramount Pictures or, you know, whoever you're pitching. It could be a decentralized fin financing platform. And your, your pitch is, you know, give me $50 million. I want to make a movie. And I have no guarantee, uh, you know, where this brand is going, who else might be using it for what, or how many competing movies might enter the marketplace at the same time. Hmm. You know, that, that is super, super problematic. Right. You know, it, it totally depends on your aspirations. You know, I, you know, if you're peppy or you're, I mean, if, 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 if Lars von Trier directed a, a rare Pepe film, I would, I would absolutely, I would absolutely flip. Right. So I guess like there, there are ways in which like, you know, crazy alchemy and combinations can be made using CC zero with other artists. Right. But uh, I mean, I, I used to be pretty, have religion against CC, CCO for the reasons that, that Roy was just saying. But now now I've sort of moved to a place of, uh, oh, wow. I think there's a hybrid model. Yeah. What, what happened? No, no, oh. no. I love this. I, this is like an evolution oh, in, yeah. in your thought, and I love it. Oh, yeah. You probably haven't heard this. You, you not usually not talk I'm very anti-CCO. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... But yeah, I mean, I, and part of part of part of this, my hand was forced because we're we're drifting with super geishas. We're drifting into CCO CC zero land because the community is strongly CC zero. I think there's actually a model where uh, you have both. And what we're doing with super geisha is is we're going to develop an animated series that's set in the same universe, but it's not going to reuse the same characters. So this, the characters are actually in a storyline that's uh, like a prequel to the animated series, and in that way. You can imagine that, yeah. If this, if, if people want to want to do their own thing with the super geishas and if, turn it into memes or put it on the side of their their plumbing uh, van or whatever they want to do with it, that that can help build recognition for the the story world. But it doesn't conflict with the animated series that we're trying to pitch and build and have you know be a commercial like that. enterprise. That's that's a smart idea. It's a smart way around it. The, the only thing is you have to hope that in your first 10,000 characters, you don't accidentally create your Mickey Mouse that turns out to be the one that you really turns out like that's that was really our best one ever. Well, then they got to buy it back. And yeah, well, I mean, they won't be they won't be geishas. So, so, yeah, we can we can be pretty sure that they won't be the same characters. But I do see what you're saying. Like there could be a character that we fall in love with and we really wanted to use it. Yeah, but that's that's a clever uh, it's a clever idea. Um, and, you know, listen, I, am I tempted to, like, I, I love crypto dick butts and, you know, the reason I got into it, you know, pretty early, I can't remember when, but pretty early, they have a sense of humor, like they're, they're absurd and, you know, MF is, is funny as well. And that's another one that yeah, I do. And to be honest, most NFT projects and PFPs and stuff really don't have a sense of humor. Most of web three is like not super funny. Um, so, so that's kind of, you know, a zone that I appreciate. So, you know, and I think that if you're doing stuff that is really specifically web three, like I saw a trailer this morning for something that was using NFTs, this is getting slightly off topic, but you know, hopefully it's okay. Uh, and I thought they, they made two slight, I think errors. One, they called all the character, they referred to it as, you know, something 
NFTs. Like that was like the title of the show. Right. Bad idea. People don't want to see it. That's like naming an animated show, you know, something, something animated characters, like <laughs> yeah. very generically. Yeah. Pe like, people in the space the for, for years don't even really like the term NFT, you know? Yeah. You, people want to watch characters who have char characters as individuals and have personalities like name your show, Rick and Morty. Those are two individuals who people, an audience might care about. And then the second thing was the uh, range of the humor, the setting, everything, everything communicated that the bounds of humor on this show are going to be pretty much the same as you're getting on regular TV, which, you know, nobody needs that. Nobody needs more average TV. Uh, the mm. final benefit of having a decentralized development process is it, that I would propose is, you know, I would argue, I think small groups of enthusiasts, enthusiastic DAOs or investors or fans or whatever, are going to embrace cutting edge, interesting, you know, more avant-garde material, uh, way ahead of the curve, more than a centralized culture bureaucracy. Because when you think about what to advocate for, and you, you know, you're in some small DAO that loves fantasy shows or something, you're just trying to advocate for something really cool. Mm. Whereas if, if you're at a studio, you're advocating for your, you know, your health insurance and, you know, the totally different dynamic. You're, you're advocating for your position in a, in a social hierarchy. I, I think there are a lot of dynamics that tend to make people a little more cautious, professional, pattern matcher and maybe take chances less than a decentralized group. That's my argument. And I think it will lead to better shows. Uh, I have a question for uh, just a decentralized model that, that, that brings to mind, which is what, what you might be giving up outside of the, the traditional uh, studio structure, which is, and we see this in, in Web3 project, projects all the time, which is if we're funding it upfront, how do we make sure that the filmmaker, the showrunner is accountable to, you know, it's it's harder to be accountable to a DAO or to your ten thousand people who 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 funded you, uh, and how do we make sure that they actually deliver against their their promises? I would just sort of want to respond first by saying, like, if anything, I think the mm -hmm. if if I could have entered a system ten years ago in independent film where like I would receive the support of ten thousand strangers in order to get my first film made, there would be a doubt in my mind that I would accomplish it to the best of my ability. I think. And I could, and I can assume that for virtually every filmmaker I know, right? Especially the independent ones, because it's like there, there is no reason to continue fighting to get this thing made. Like there are, um, there are infinite reasons to not make your film and to give up. So in order to have it happen, you have to be half crazy anyway. I think that like one, one thing from a, like the artist perspective when it comes to like this this process that we're discussing is also protecting process right and and like like protecting like the the artist's sort of like journey and understanding what it is that they're making so that they can make it great and not actually force this um sort of vague uh kind of kind of term transparency onto onto anything that we absolutely can you know, because I, I think that like there, there's so much that, that kind of happens 
in moments and like you find that inspiration. I mean, I think all of us here know that, right? That need to be tested out before the, before we know that they work. And, you know, even stepping into creating this film, I mean, this for me is like the most public film that I've, I've made. Like I'm, I'm constantly talking about what it is and who's going to be in it and who I've filmed with. Like, and it's, it's very new for me uh, because, because this is, it's such a public space and because the internet demands a lot of you once you start working with it. And that that's i think for for like this system that we're talking about the the one thing that i'm a bit curious as to how we can also sort of support and protect you know like because now you do have ten thousand people looking at you being like cool how brilliant is this going to be i gave you cash right um hmm. and we and we don't want people to crumble under under that pressure uh the studios are hard enough right i love and the I trailer guess- by the way <laughs> trailer is great thank you sir we, we worked very hard on that and uh, but just so, uh, so I wasn't I wasn't sort of talking about necessarily bad actors or, or rug pulls or anything like that. I guess I was I was talking more about the infrastructure of production and how. And I actually think you know mm. Dan, you've done this before, and you have integrity, and, and you know the production company and, and the team has it under control. I don't I don't think that's the the risk case. I think the risk case is if you're thinking about a series, and I'll just kind of pick on Stoner Cats for a minute because I was listening to one of their Twitter spaces and they were saying we have more episodes to record uh, and to film or to, or to draw. And we can't, you know, we're trying to get Chris Rock. Chris Rock needs to come back in and record some vocal, some, uh, some, uh, some of his lines. So it's like, yeah, I, I can't, <laughs> I mean, like, the, the, I remember the FAQ for when that, when that drop happened. And I remember like one of the reasons for them creating the series was so like, the people who made it, the celebrities, the very well-known people who made it can like sort of like laugh with their friends at parties saying that they actually made a series happen in this way. And I was like, how is that, how is that even a priority, right? Like, do you need to make this series? Because there's so many people who like, again, would kill for that opportunity to get their stuff financed, you know? So I, again, I'm not like, I'm not like picking on stone okay? I'm just, I'm just using some, I had the macro point of like, uh, if you were, if you were Netflix, filming this and Chris Rock, you know, you're going to get Chris Rock back in because he doesn't want to piss off Netflix for his future projects. But if you're, you know, this sort of one degree removed from a decentralized project, like how do we, how do we make sure that we have the same structures in place or, or, you know, how can we uh, even more from like the, the community standpoint, like how can you ensure that, I don't know if there is an answer for this, but it's like, it feels like there, there are middle layers there, like completely cutting out the middle layers isn't always a good thing because you need people to chase down the, the, the talent you need people, you know, so maybe there well, is I, like a I middle layer that grows out of the Dow or, or something like that. No, no, no. I, there's no scenario where the Dow is running a show like that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, maybe there will be a scenario. People should feel free to try it, but that's not going to, I will just put my two cents down that uh, that is unlikely to succeed. <laughs> yeah. Because why is that? Because you need to run a show on a day-to-day basis, you know, like you have a script. Script is bad. Script needs to be revised. Or script is great. Script needs, you know, Chris Rock. Somebody needs to make a phone call to Chris Rock's agent. Chris Rock's agent is going to return the call much more readily if Chris Rock's agent knows who you are. You know, and so shows are not going to be produced by random people that is simply a train wreck waiting to happen and it, you, people will lose a lot of money doing that or so, make so you're saying it, it kind of it, it bubbles back i mean just like just in the way that we're confident that 
Dan's film is great because you know Dan's on top of it and has the experience, and and we put we rest on Dan's credibility. You're, you're saying like it, it still has to be centralized in say the showrunner or the the you have to trust in them that they're going to run the run run you know they're going to keep the ship on course. I Dan's film is is going to be great because Dan is a talented filmmaker. It I, people I my argument is that people systematically misunderstand decentralized. De the point of decentralized is that the system is censorship resistant. It does not mean that you cannot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does not mean that as a brilliant individual, you like Satoshi, you cannot sit down and code something or write something or make a film on your own. That this is a system that is intolerant of that activity or that process or that model. That's that's total. That's like taking a word and just completely misusing it. Mm. Like you know, it's a, a hundred thousand percent misunderstanding of why people even use the word in the space. Right. The whole point is, I have a Bitcoin. I want you to have the Bitcoin in exchange for something, and we want it to be. Uh, such that nobody like PayPal or Venmo can prohibit or edit this transaction. That's censorship resistant. And in order to accomplish that, the system as a whole has to be decentralized. That has nothing to do with you making your movie. Now, if, if the uh, financing system associated with this or the system uh, distributing, if those are not decentralized, then you have a system that somebody could wake up in the morning and just turn off or decide, exactly. you know what, we don't like documentaries or we don't like Dan. And so we're not having that movie anymore. That's oh, that not, happens. yeah, that's not censorship resistant because it's not sufficiently decentralized. But once you extend the term to apply to like, hey, do you mind if I write the script myself and get solo writers credit? because like it's about my life uh that you're, you're you know that in those cases people are people are taking the term too far i'm pretty sure mm. that, that's my argument yeah you know and this speaks to uh you know one thing in the space which is you know we've talked about platforms we've talked about financing talked about cdns moving bits and bytes around a little bit but then the, there's this other area of like how does the actual content, what about the experiments that have to do with the actual content being made? And, you know, there are going to be cases where the process of making the actual content is not that different uh, from what we see today. But then there are other cases right. that could be interesting where, you know, we could, where it is decentralized. I'm not saying it can't be, but, you know, what if we put together a DAO and said, okay, this DAO is going to be like fan fiction, we're all going to do, you know, teen club kid superhero stories. And after we bang out, you know, 10,000 such stories, we're going to see what is the cream of the crop and build on that. And we're going to create the next Marvel. Could totally work. I'm not saying that cannot work. I'm just saying if you're Francis Ford Coppola and you want to make Apocalypse Now and you're a genius, that can also fit into this system. So... As as we sort of start to like you know wind this down a bit though I do I do want to talk about what you're building now Roy and I do want to talk about sort of what the obstacles are as you see them. You know I was going to call it international art machine but a lot of people 
kept saying that uh, it was a little long. And since I'm open-minded and democratic and decentralized, uh, we shortened it to FOMO. And, uh, <laughs> and the, goal, the goal is to just have this marketplace that, you know, that we've been talking about where you can bring your movie and get it financed. I, th I think the most complicated part is, you know, there are a lot of legal details. It's not just like OpenSea. You know, if, if you're trying to make it easy for filmmakers or musicians, you know, and you want to create this open global system where, you know, the next Bad Bunny or Wu-Tang Clan or the Daniels or what have you are going to be discovered. But it's also, you know, welcoming and great for, you know, Mike Judge to bring in, you know, mm. a great the next Silicon Valley. So you, you want it. You want it to be open to discovering new people, but also totally appropriate for huge projects. You know, you, you have to have agreements uh, on the thing. And, and that, you know, some of that is uh, you have to work through the exact process. Uh, one thing one thing you brought up earlier, you know, what if there is a rug? Do you have 10,000 fragmented people who find it difficult to pursue the um, their claims? And... My proposed solution to that is that when an investment is formed, you invest in an LLC and then we can manage the LLC, although that could that role could be taken by somebody else in a decentralized way. And so you, you do have kind of a person who's standing in the shoes of all the investors and representing their interests. Uh, so if, if you have a claim, if there's a breach, whatever it is, you can pursue that. So, you know, there are like a lot of details, a lot of legal, legal stuff, a lot of that. It's always the legal stuff. Isn't it though? <laughs> it is. But it you is. know, I think it's a, lawyers, <laughs> but you know, I'm super excited. I think it's a, a fascinating area. You know, I came down when I was at Amazon, uh, evangelizing digital video that, you know, people were going to stream movies. It was going to be big. And, you know, one executive at one studio said, you know, no one is ever going to download any of our movies. I remember he said download. You know, I thought your movies must be <laughs> must be awful. And, uh, you know, things <laughs> evolve. Things evolve quite a bit. It's not always obvious uh, at first what's going to happen. But if you if you look at the math, like, does it make sense? Does it make sense that people will want to sit in their living room and just press a button to see a movie instead of like, you know, ordering a DVD or going to Blockbuster? Of course it makes sense. And that's why SVOD is like the biggest format now. And mm. this makes sense. Web3 makes sense because firstly, it is a, a much better for creators and talent. And I think it'll be driven by that, I think it's a very interesting proposition for fans. It's much better for creators and talent. And as creators and talent migrate, audiences will naturally migrate. I think, to my mind, I would argue that's the that's the process. Brilliant, Kai. I'm gonna, yeah. gonna turn it to you for a sec. You know, I, you know, we we are obviously working very closely on a lot of things. But you know, mm -hmm. I'd love if if you can sort of articulate sort of like 
where you're at right now in terms of this ambition, where we're at in terms of this ambition, um, and you know some of the obstacles that, that you're seeing. Sort of, we, we spoke a bit about the legal. Yeah, yeah. So we're working through this framework of, of a, a, a way to uh, enable some sort of funding that that you know makes people feel like they're they're participating, or at least at least have a, a, a not a one-way source of crowdfunding, but something that you could you know have a recurring funding source for different projects so you you sort of join into and then you can fund lots of projects and not not have it be just a one-way almost charitable type transaction i think we're we're trying to do we're trying to develop uh more of a an open framework so i so i hope to to even loop you know i think it's compatible with with what roy is thinking about and and i saw john rogers on the call and we've been talking about it a lot i think we're trying to do something that's more uh frameworks that are for the for the common good of the industry and that other people can build on so almost like the base layer of financing for 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 what people are trying to build that really needs to be put in place for a lot of what is happening in in web 3 and media 3 to be a first step for people to develop all the stuff that they want to develop on top of that uh and i know a lot of people are focusing on the on the user side of things and the, and the streaming or the content delivery side of things. And they sort of need that piece of it to, to close the loop um, and, and to enable this, this uh, I think what we all see as a potential floodgates opening of content as people, you know, people are able to find alternate sources of funding and alternate sources of matching with their audiences and, and getting discovered by their audiences. Uh, so yeah, I'm super, I'm super excited about that. I know that I'm, um, you know, we at, at Depop Studios, it's like we have a, a number of projects that are that are in the ether and folks that we're talking to as potential projects. Uh, I mentioned Super Geishas as the one that is already in the works and we already have a, a, sort of a full, this full steam ahead at this point, but there are other things that are in the works, but I think the closing, you know, figuring out this funding piece of the puzzle is really the first thing that we need to do. And then we can just sort of start lining up a slate of of potential projects and and really let the community start to decide you know which which projects are the most viable to go forward with so i'm excited about you know a feature where you know we can just talk as producers or as content creators we can just generate ideas and and get them developed to a certain point and then uh you know put them into a system whether it's integrated with this thing that i'm developing whether it's on on FOMO and any number of things. It's just exciting to think that we can bring projects to the Web3 funding development model that we're all talking about and, and really give these things, you know, some momentum. So there's a number of things that I, I guess I have my own slate that I'm, I'm going to sort of gradually introduce through, through Depop as we, as we develop them. Got a lot of exciting things in the works that I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing in the coming year and 18 months. Awesome. Yeah, for, for me, I mean, uh, to echo, you know, what you said, um, I, I think that I'm, I'm really excited about the potential for collaborative arts funding, especially theater, opera, film, stuff that like does require funding to get mm. off the ground and like pay people just to even get started. I, I think that like that, that will just make the art so much better and so much more edgy and, and substantial, you know, because like there, there's going to be real audiences to back these these risks and these adventures you know one thing too that i i do want to touch on a bit is is like is sort of nonfiction also and how this works and and sort of like something that i feel like we don't necessarily speak to enough when we talk about new here and and, and the drop and like how that's going down 
but it, it's always been like an itch to me, like working in the nonfiction genre for like over a decade. Like there, there aren't any real rules as to like how you're um, supposed to support the people who showed up to make your film happen in front of the camera, right? Like your subjects, mm-hmm. collaborators, well, what, sort of whatever you'd like to sort of call the, the participants, right? And, you know, like generally, like there is an ethical standard that's very similar to journalism that is like you don't pay people for interviews, right? But for me, like there's something about the model that we've found here, you know, and and for people who don't know what's going on with the new here drop, basically every artist uh, that, that we've interviewed so far in the film is going to be included in like the residuals for the drop in perpetuity. So, you know, we're already sort of trying to build in this flywheel where you know, the better that the actual NFT drop does, the, the more the film gets supported. But then also the artists who are part of the film also receive a, like a tiny, tiny bit of support. But, you know, it's it's sort of building them into the system from the get. And that's something that, you know, in nonfiction, it comes up in Q&As all the time. Like, so like, you know, you worked with all these people for an extended period of time. Like what what benefit did they get from this from this big sale or whatever happened? For me personally, I'm just really excited that like this is just like a small way in which we can use the genre of like, well, this tech within the genre of nonfiction to like really make cool stories happen. We'll have to turn this into a into a weekly, weekly podcast covering the whole universe of uh, Web3 and and media. I love that. I have to get a a music expert. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll definitely start building that playlist ASAP. But, you know, I, I just want to thank everybody that is tuned in. As Roy said, we're going to be trying to host a, a few more of these in the future. And, and, you know, we'll keep you updated as to when they're happening. For anybody listening, you know, would, would love for you to check out what we're doing at Depop Studios. And that's that can be found at depopstudios.xyz. D-P-O-P-S-T-U-D-I-O-S dot X-Y-Z. And the film that we're actually building about crypto art is at newhere.xyz. And there, there is actually a mint happening right now. Um, we've just recently opened up like the second tier to that mint. Uh, and so I encourage everybody to go check it out if they don't know what's going on. Hop into our Discord, our Twitter. There's a bunch of different ways to get in touch if you have any questions or ideas. Any last thoughts, Roy or Kai, before I send us off into the ether? I, I think it's going to be a really exciting couple of years, and uh, that is my that is my final thought. I hope everyone agrees. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just I'm just excited to think ahead, like more from the the audience perspective of you know you imagine a future where if we, you're going to have collectibles from all you know if you think about all all the media that you watched since you were a kid, and you, if you could still have like mementos and collectibles and and feel like you have tokens of how you contributed and participated. That's sort of the future that awaits the next generation. That is fun. I love that. With that, thank you everybody for tuning in. I hope you have a wonderful day slash night wherever you are. Thank you, Roy. And thank you, Kai, for being here and, and sharing your time with me and with all of us.